Good morning. How wonderful it is to praise God together. That was powerful. Thank you for leading us as we think about our great Savior, our great God. And we're going to be learning more about him today. What is it that Luke in his gospel wants us to know about God? What does he want us to know about Jesus? Who is Jesus? You know, the, the disciples asked that question a few chapters before back in Luke chapter 8. You might remember there was a great miracle. Jesus was sleeping. There was a great storm that came. Jesus woke up after the disciples shook him. We're going to drown. And then he stood up and said, be quiet. And the wind stopped and the waves were stilled. And the disciples looked at one another. Well, I'm imagining that. And they looked, well, they did say to each other, who is this that can speak and say a word and the wind stops in a moment, in an instant, and the, wind, and the waves are just calmed? Well, Luke had them. They asked that question, and they were learning who Jesus was. And just in the next chapter, Peter made the great confession. So we, with those disciples, are learning along the way through Luke's gospel who Jesus is. We're learning with them as we walk with Jesus. Last week we asked a really big question. Is it worth following Jesus? Are the cost too great? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to love me above all others. You need to love me more than your own life. You have to carry your cross. You have to be willing to lose everything if I ask you to lose everything to follow me. Great cost to follow Jesus. Greater rewards if we do. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? As a congregation, do you believe that as an individual, that Jesus is worth the cost? We just sang that there's no one greater. The angels say that. The saints in glory who are there already are saying that. Do we say that today? What does your mind and heart say? What's God like? What brings God joy? Well, Luke wants us to know, and these parables, there's three of them. Greg read about two of them. Teach us what brings God joy. As the cross is getting nearer, nothing has changed for Jesus. His, his love for sinners, his joy when they turn to him has not changed, and it's to be my passion and your passion too, to go seeking the lost. If you peek ahead in chapters 16 through 19, and you can do that this week, if you peek ahead, you're going to see that nothing has changed in Jesus' mission. As a matter of fact, it might have gotten more intense the way Luke writes it, because Jesus is relentless in seeking sinners as he heads to the cross, to the outcasts, to the lepers, to children, to tax collectors, and the lost self-righteous. His seeking doesn't stop as he journeys to the cross. As a matter of fact, just before he goes into Jerusalem, 
to die on the cross that Passion Week before his triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19. You know the story. It's about this really short man. His name was Zacchaeus. And Jesus makes a great declaration. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. And these three parables, followers of Jesus, they remind us the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And you might actually make that the lost sons, plural, because there's two sons. They remind us of what God wants to impress on our hearts and minds, that Jesus wanted to impress on the crowds, that Jesus wants to impress on his disciples, and he wants to impress on us as well, that God gladly seeks and receives repentant sinners. And that's to be our identifying mark as his disciples. That our joy is to seek the lost and to celebrate when they repent and follow our God. So let's take a look. Point number one, hearing or muttering. Let's look at those first two verses again in the chapter. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Hearing or grumbling, hearing or muttering. We need to know God's heart. That's the key idea we find right here at the beginning of this section of Luke's Gospel. And if you are a skeptic, or if you know a skeptic who doesn't think God is compassionate, you need to know, remind yourself about Luke chapter 15, because that's what this chapter is all about. A seeking God who loves to seek the lost. He desires to seek sinful people rather than judging them in wrath. I want you to note something, too. Luke, guided by the Holy Spirit, is an amazing, exquisite writer. Have your Bibles open. Look at chapter 14, verse 35. Don't miss this. Jesus' last words are, in verse 35, He who has ears to hear, let them hear. And look at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to do what? To hear him. If you have ears to hear. There's not an accident that Luke put those last words before the first words in chapter 15 because they're connected. Who was hearing? Jesus. And who was muttering? Who was grumbling? He wants us to see that. Don't kiss, disconnect them. Who's seeking better to know God? Who's seeking after God? Muttering and complaining. <laughs> There's lots of examples of it in Scripture. Of course, we never mutter or complain. A classic example is the children of Israel. They're in the wilderness, right? They're complaining, they're muttering about Moses' leadership and God's menu of manna and water in the wilderness. They were complaining. They were muttering about it. They were grumbling. And there was God. Remember this. There was God visibly in the, in the pillory cloud, right? 
leading them, guiding them, protecting them in the day and at night, and yet they were muttering and complaining. God was visibly with them, and yet it wasn't enough for them. Hard hearts. We are so prone to grumbling when we neglect God and forget who he is and what he's done for us, what his heart is for us. See, back in Jesus' day, the church attenders, well, they weren't church attenders, they were synagogue attenders and leaders, the good, the decent religious leaders, the ones who supposedly loved God, they were actually resisting and fighting against God himself. Here was God the Son, full of grace and truth, dwelling among them, living among them, healing and teaching and doing all this good, and yet what were they doing? They weren't drawing near to hear. They weren't sitting at his feet to hear him. They were far away. They kept back, and they were muttering and grumbling and complaining about his ministry to the lost. They were refusing his salvation. They were refusing. They were refusing Jesus, and they were refusing the salvation he was offering them and everyone. Hey, when you find yourself muttering or grumbling against God about how he's working in your life or your circumstances or the mission that he has for you to do, Don't forget how good God is. Confess your hard heart that you're not trusting in him, that you're not trusting in his love and his care. Have ears to hear. Maybe you know by now, but one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Isaiah 40. If you have ears to hear, hear what Isaiah spoke for God in Isaiah 40, verse 27 to the end of the chapter. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? They're muttering. Israel's complaining. And then what does God answer? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He is under, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If we have ears to hear, remember who God is and how good he is and what he's done in your life and brought you to this point. Do not mutter and grumble against him, but remember him. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because Jesus longs for people, for us to hear him and to know his heart, to know that his loving mercy is there for us to have. Know Jesus, know God. Know Jesus' heart for you. Believe and follow him even more steadfastly today.
God is a seeking God. That's the second idea here. In verses 3 through 10 in Luke chapter 15, there's two parables. Jesus often speaks in two parables. And here we have, uh, well, last week we had two parables, right? The, the cost, considering the cost of following Jesus, there was the parable of the building the tower. And then the parable of going to war, deciding if you needed to sue or, or, or find peace. And then Jesus adds a third longer parable that goes deeper to make his point. So the lost sheep and the lost coin. What's the key idea here? That the Lord is a seeking God. He takes the initiative. That's the key point here. God is ready to receive repentant sinners who turn to him. I want you to think about that for a minute. We expect God to seek people, to go after people who turn to him. I mean, we ex even pagan gods, false gods, the mythology gods, they love it when people turn to them and honor them and give some kind of a sacrifice, right? But they just love that. We expect that of of greater powers, God, so to speak. So what sets the true God apart from all other gods who love it when people turn to them and honor them? What sets the true God apart? He comes seeking. He sacrifices. He suffers. He pays the price himself so that we can come into his presence without fear. He knows our evil ways, that we're sinners, and yet he seeks us out to save us anyway. It's a gift of God's loving grace that we can't do ourselves. Don't ever let that go. The Lord is a seeking God. The shepherd leaves the 99 sheep. Jesus doesn't, doesn't tell us in the story, but we assume, I guess, the other 99 will be safe, but maybe not. But that one lost sheep is so important, he goes looking for it, and he finds it, and he rejoices when that one lost sheep is found. The woman sweeps. She's looking high and low. She's lost a day's wage. She can't afford it. And when she finds that one silver coin, she has nine, but she goes looking for the one because it's precious. And when she finds it, she throws a party. Lost sheep and lost coins in real life sometimes Stay lost. So when Jesus goes out there seeking the lost, and one is found, heaven celebrates, because not all lost people are found. You've all experienced losing something, right? It's frustrating to lose something. Lost keys? How many have lost keys? Okay, yeah. The lost wallet or purse. The lost cell phone. The missing tool that you need to do the job. And you know it's in that mess 
in your garage or the work table somewhere, the, the lost kitchen gadget, the receipt that you need that you lost to return an item that, doesn't, that isn't the right item. Ah, you know, there's one lost item in my life that I, I've never forgotten. It was a credit card. Oh yeah, that's serious stuff when you lose a credit card. The Meter family was on a trip. We splurged, we stopped at Wendy's on the way home. That was a big deal for us at that time. And I used my credit card and we, 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 we got home and the next morning I realized that the credit card was missing. We tore the house apart. We looked for hours. I, I, I just had it yesterday. Surely I didn't lose it. I went back to the car. We finally, this was before the internet, by the way, like was like big enough. It was the early 90s. Searched the car, called the Wendy's. No, there was no lost credit card turned in. After, after several hours of looking and just, I made the call. I canceled the credit card in case somebody, it was in somebody's hands that would, would, would use it for stuff. And guess what happened? I found it. It was at the bottom of the bed under a pile of laundry that needed to be folded. <laughs> ah, yeah, and why wasn't, the, why wasn't the laundry folded? Because we were looking for the credit card. Frustrating. Looking for lost people is tiresome. It's emotionally tiring. It's physically tiring, mentally exhausting, not always successful, sometimes more frustrating than joyful. So how do we stay on mission? We remember what brings God joy. What kept Jesus seeking the lost? In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that it was the joy set before him. So he endured the cross. He despised its shame because his, he knew that his labor of love dying on the cross would not be in vain, that it would result in many people, thousands, countless of People through the centuries would believe and be saved and live in God's presence, God's plan for the world all along, forever. So he knew his dying was not in vain. He was doing his Father's will, and that brought him great joy. Even in the midst of dying on the cross was not joyful. That joy set before him made him push through. The Apostle Paul tells us, always giving yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know what? That your labor in the Lord is what? Not in vain. It's not wasted and energy. You know what my heart needs to do? I need to believe that when I don't see it. When I don't see a lot of fruit. And when fruit does happen, you know what we're supposed to do? It's like what the angels do in heaven. It's what God does in heaven when a sinner turns to Christ. What are we supposed to do? Celebrate. Say it out loud. Celebrate. I'm not much of a partier, but I need to learn to celebrate when someone comes to faith. 
to rejoice that the lost is found. Where are you going to find deep joy in your life? When you're busy doing what God saved you to do and to be. Seeking and saving the lost. Having a part in that and sharing in the celebration with heaven when it happens. Hey, true joy is going to be when we're home forever in the Lord's presence. When we see Jesus face to face, we're going to be safe. It's going to be comfortable. It's going to be happy. But until then, in the meantime, we labor seeking the lost for the joy set before us. Third, God and us receiving repentant people. We didn't read it. I'm going to take a few moments right now. Let's look at verse Chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Jesus has told these two shorter parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now he goes deeper because there isn't just lost and found and, and celebration. Now there's lost. There's repentance. Turning back to God, there's forgiveness. There's being found, and then there's celebration. It's deeper and broader. And we need to see ourselves in the younger son and the older son. Two sons, stories, whose we need to pay attention to. Look at verse 11. And there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered, or he wasted his property in reckless living, wild living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to celebrate. Jesus uses vivid language here. He squandered, or wasted, reckless living, wild living. You know what? Reckless, wild living, it hasn't changed. And then there was a disaster. One of them was his fault. He wasted all his money. The second one wasn't his fault. <laughs> there was a famine. The economy took a dive. <laughs> 
He was destitute. He was homeless. He's eating pig food. He's a Jew. How demeaning is that? Desperate times. But look at verse 17. He repents. He comes to his senses. He comes to himself. He's thinking, what have I done? I've wasted my life. I've gone astray. He confessed his sin to God. He recognized that he had no right to have high standing with his father. So he heads home. He turns back. And then the father comes to him. The robe is a sign of sonship, position. The ring is a sign of sonship and high honor. The shoes or the sandals is a sign of not being a servant, but a son, a daughter of the father. And he welcomes him back like he never, ever left. It's a picture of God's lavish grace received when we dare, when we humbly admit our sinfulness and need of grace, and he happily forgives. Learn from the younger son. See your foolishness. See your need to return to the Father and he, God the Father, and he will gladly do it when we confess our sin. God is ready to embrace you this morning if you haven't turned to him. If you would return to him, he will take you in and move you on to better and higher things. Did I hear an amen? I did. That's incredible. Know God's heart for lost people who turn to him and welcome them back. But let's read about the older son. Now his older son, verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, <laughs> celebration. And he called one of the servants and asked what, the, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received them back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look. And that's the tone there of that word, look. It wasn't respectful. Look, these many years I have served you. The NIV kind of puts it this way, the New International Version. I've slaved for you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he has, who has devoured your property with prostitute and killed the fatted calf for him, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The story of the prodigal is more about the older son as much as the younger son. Who 
was off in the distance grumbling? Well, it was the Pharisees and the scribes and religious people, and sometimes it's us disciples in, in the sanctuary, grumbling about who God's rescuing, the kind of people that are coming. He was angry. He was grumbling. The father went out to him just like he went out to the other son. Don't miss that point. He was acting, this son was acting self-righteous, but his actions and his word revealed the hardness of his heart, his bad attitudes. He refused to be part of the celebration. He said, look, all these years I've slaved for you. I've never disobeyed. Oh, really? Well, we won't get into that. <laughs> the sinful son got the fatted calf. I never even got a little goat. He's complaining. He's grumbling. He can't even make himself my brother. He says, your son. He doesn't know his father's heart. He's not close to his father at all. He has no real relationship with his dad. A picture of our father in heaven. He was outwardly looked good, but the story actually flips. The bad one becomes good, and the one who looked good, what? Really looks kind of bad. He didn't understand his father's joy or his father's mercy or his deep love. But the father speaks to him so kindly and tenderly. The older son thought he needed to earn his father's love. And what he needed to do was just recognize how gracious his father was being to him. He wasn't in step with his father's heart. So learn from the older son, too. Know how merciful and understanding and accepting God is when we turn to him. We don't have to earn his love. We just need to confess our sin and receive his love and his mercy. How well do we know God's loving heart for sinners? You ever notice how easy it is to love sinners from a distance? But when it's upfront and personal, when they've, their sin has affected you, made you angry, caused you to, to lose time, money, emotional energy, ah, then it's not so easy. When their foolishness affects us, it's easy to say, come and worship with us, join us. But it's not so easy when I've been here for how many years? 60, and you've only been here for six months, and we're celebrating you. What about me? Or maybe they come and they're new and their spiritual gifts are something that match yours or even a little stronger than yours and people start getting to them and you have to work alongside them instead of you being in, well, the star. We never think that way. If we are Christ, then we share in all that Christ has. We rejoice that the lost are found, that our Father in heaven's love and mercy has reached us and is reaching out to others. 
These three parables reveal the tender heart of our God and creator towards all humanity. It's a wake-up call to grumblers. It's a wake-up call to disciples to remind ourselves to understand God's deep love for us and for others. Are you a prodigal daughter or son today? Then come to your senses and repent and find your loving God's grace. Return to him, believe in him, and let him put you in new robes. Put a ring on your finger and new shoes on your feet that show that you are a child, a full son of God. He loves to lavish his goodness on repentant sinners. And believers in Christ don't doubt that God loves you even though you've gone astray. If you will turn back to him, he will welcome you into his household happily and celebrate. Hey, this parable reminds us why Jesus is always involved with sinners. What did he come to do? To seek and to save the lost. So we need to go seek so that the lost can be saved, not to join in their bad deeds, but to bring them into the kingdom of God's Christ-forgiving salvation. What lost sheep, what lost coin, what lost person are you going to go looking for this week? Pray for this week. Speak to this week. Be kind to this week. Let's pray. Father in God, Father in heaven, you are so filled with compassion and you never stop seeking lost people, people who've gone astray, who've turned away from your goodness and love. Lord, open our eyes to see your deep love so that we embrace you, so that we receive your salvation, so we share it with others. Oh, Lord, help us not to be grumblers, but those who celebrate when we see your hand of mercy going to work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, as we prepare our hearts together to take communion, to remember what you've done for us by dying on the cross, help us to celebrate with joy all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray and ask it. Amen.